Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we are blessed to hear from Joe Butcher from Duval Foursquare Church, so help me welcome Joe to the front. Thank you, Todd. Did I turn it on? Is it on? Yeah, it sounds like it's on, right? I don't know. I got it. I did it right. It's different, than, it's different than the one I normally use. Hi, yeah, uh, hi church. Uh, I am Joe Butcher. Um, I mentioned this in the first service that it would be really awkward if I wasn't, um, and now I was thinking about it between services, and I was like, it'd also be really funny if I just got up and pretended to be an entirely different person. Um, like, no, I'm not Joe from, I'm Aaron from Marysville or something. Like, that, Aaron's taller than I am, it's never mind. Um, so <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm really thrilled. I was thr- thrilled when Sean uh, reached out and asked if I could uh, come up. My wife and I do pastor down in... Uh, Duval, um, a little church, uh, Valley Foursquare. We love it down there. I've been there for about five years. If you don't know where Duval is, you are not alone. Uh, many people don't. We're a little bedroom community uh, just east of uh, Redmond, Bellevue area, um, kind, of, kind of across from Woodenville too. We sort of sit uh, just across a valley and a uh, lovely community, amazing community. I actually live, my family and I live in Marysville uh, because it's also a very, very expensive community. Uh, uh, <laughs> a house in Marysville that might be like $600,000 is like 900000 in Duval. So we drive. Uh, and when I was coming up here today, I was like, oh, this drive's very familiar. It's like the same thing, just going north. So it was very fun. It was a pleasant drive. I enjoyed it. And I'm uh, really thankful uh, to be here with you guys. Um, I, uh, I shared the first service. Uh, some things that I'm going to try and do today um, that are just sort of a, a bit of a, a, bit of a, a pre-warning, if you will. Uh, I had a boss years ago who he had this statement he'd make all the time. He said, beforehand, it's information. And afterwards, it's an excuse. And it doesn't really matter what it is. I found that to be very, very true. If you tell somebody something in advance, you're like, hey, just so you know, here's what's coming up. People are like, oh, thank you for that information. If you surprise someone somehow, and then you're like, well, no, it was intended to, like, you were supposed to like it. And then they're like, thanks, great excuse. You know, uh, like, it just always seems to work that way. So let me give you some information. 
situation. Uh, I'm going to try and do three things today, one of which I try and do every time I speak anywhere or like every day I live life. This is just like one of the things that I do all the time. This is Joe Butcher. And the other two are completely brand new for me except for first service. So, and I don't know if I did them well. I just know I did them. So, uh, so we're just going to see how that goes. The first thing is this. Uh, I am going to, not accidentally, I am going to intend to offend someone Maybe everyone today. Uh, and here's why. Initially, when I say that to people, they're like, mm, who's Joe? Uh, look, here's the thing that I, I have recognized in relationship and in life. Uh, I spent 10 years, 11 years, doing uh, high school ministry, spent another uh, four years doing young adults ministry. I've had the opportunity to be around a ton of young couples. And, uh, and, and that's awesome in a lot of ways. Uh, in other ways, anybody ever seen that couple that like, they're like, oh, we never fight. We've never argued at all. You know, there's, you can put hands up. It's okay. Like we're here together. So yeah, there's a couple. Okay. Yeah. So we all know that person. They're like, we've never had a fight. We've never argued. And you're like, oh, great. You're those people. Uh, no, I'm sorry if you are those people. See, I'm already offending you. And, uh, but here's, here's what I've recognized in relationships. And here's what I have counseled young people in relationships that I've had the opportunity to, to walk towards marriage with. And if you never dive into places of life that are uncomfortable, that require you to question how you feel about the scenario, that maybe sting a little bit because someone touched a raw nerve, you've never opened your life up to true relationship with that person. I don't know anyone who has really been in relationship with another person, really. Now, I understand that we all define conflict in different ways, and I'm not talking about like some toxic thing. I'm talking about if you've never had a stress moment with somebody that you care about, you haven't hit the meat of your personalities yet. It's just what it is. And I believe that when we come into these spaces on Sunday mornings or Wednesday afternoons or online or wherever we find this, if we're not being intentional about diving into difficult stuff, things where we would stop and go, mm, I don't know if I like that, then we're not seeking God with the fullness of our hearts and our, and our, and our, and our being. Is that fair? So if I offend you today in some way, if I touch a nerve, I mean to. I don't mean to hurt, but I do mean to bother because we get too comfortable and our God never called us to sitting around being comfortable. Amen? Is that a fair place to start? All right. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try and use my life as an example. And this is new to me. I grew up in a church where uh, our, our senior pastor was this amazing man, Pastor Tom. He got up every single week and he opened up his life and we saw the gospels live through it. The man was amazing. And I remember when I got, uh, felt God call me into ministry, I was like, maybe I'm gonna do that. <laughs> I don't. Um, uh, like, like Tom had the ability to stand up there and go like, look, this is how we can live out the gospel. And I get up here and I'm like, man, this is hard. Um, like I spend a lot more of my life wrestling with the scriptures and asking God to work on the hard places of my heart than I do living as the example of them. But today I just happen to have a cross section of my life in the scripture where I'm going to try it. Um, and then the third thing that I am going to do, and I want to warn you on this one, I'm going to be openly judgmental about some stuff. Some practices that we as people do, some practices that we inside the church do, 
And I'm typically not that guy. Like, okay, this is gonna, this is maybe a bridge too far. And I understand if this is, again, we're gonna offend. Like, if this is too far for you, I get it, but this is just who I am. I don't think that even Hitler woke up in the mornings thinking he was the bad guy. I just don't believe that. I believe that the vast majority of us have created constructs for our life where we're trying to do what we believe is right and good and best. And, and, and yes, that results in chaos sometimes, but that means that I don't typically like to judge things. But can we just take a moment and accept that there are some practices that we can do as people that are very hurtful and harmful to those around us, to ourselves, to the image of God that we bear, to our communities that we're in. And if we don't stop and say, hey, that's not good, we never get a chance to critique it. And, 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 and on the heels of that, I will remind you, I don't know any of you. So if I say something and you're like, hey, Joe, settle down. I didn't know. Uh, I'm just judging the thing, not the people, and I'll be gone next week anyway, so it's fine. Uh, but, I, but can we just say, like, there are some things that we can say, hey, that's awful, even if I've done it in the past. And then uh, I just want to share this, too. Uh, I, I love your pastor. Sean is an amazing guy. I uh, I was not one of the many, many, many people in Foursquare um, who have known Sean for a long time and absolutely love him uh, forever. Uh, I was late to that bandwagon of everyone thinking that Sean Nault is the best. Uh, I met Sean later than most people around here, other pastors that I've known. Met him just a couple of years ago, but I've quickly fallen in love with Sean. And when he reached out and he, he sent me a bunch of the scriptures in this series that he's put together and you guys have been doing with these hard questions of Jesus, uh, uh, he said, hey, pick one of these passages that you want to teach on. And I read through them, and it was so hard to pick one because all of these are really, really good passages of Scripture that you guys have been going through. Like, they're super engaging and fun. And these are the types of passages. I, I often refer to these passages as just being protein-packed. Like, like, you read, when Todd got up here and he read that Scripture, there is so much, like, like that's almost enough. Like, you read this passage, you're like, I could go home. Like, that can really work on our soul right here. And, and just reading some of these is like, I, I reference it sometimes to being like your third trip to the buffet, you know? We're like, you're stuffed, but you just want more. There's so much good in this. And these passages, so many of them, uh, this one today that we're dealing with, so many pastors have talked on these. People who are genuinely far more brilliant than Joe Butcher, which I will be the first person to say does not take a lot. Uh, but, but... And so I just want to let you know, I don't intend to be super revolutionary here today. I'm not going to be super profound and unpack something crazy. Uh, here's what I hope. I hope that when we step into this space, we're willing to say, hey, God, just for this moment, if no other point in my week, I'm just going to offer my heart, all of it, the parts that maybe I haven't let you touch before, the parts that maybe I, I reserve, I'm going to offer it all to you. And I'm going to pray that, that the Spirit comes and it touches each and every one of us. And we leave here today maybe not feeling in, in, intensely more profound or having unpacked a Greek word or, or some ancient practice. I hope today that we walk out of here feeling like God got his hands on something in our lives that maybe we'd been holding back whether that's because of some fear that we've had and we've just been reserving that. Maybe that's because we've had some, some expectation or some framework built for us where we just assume God doesn't work in this way or work in this area, and so we've avoided it or we've, we've kept that space away from him just because it's not something we're familiar with even. Maybe it's just been an accident. Maybe today something hits you and you go, oh, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. But I hope that God grabs a hold of our hearts today. So if you would, would you just uh, let me open us up with a little bit of prayer here. Heavenly Father, um, I just recognize that nothing that I can bring uh, changes the world. Uh, 
God, I recognize that nothing that, that, uh, that we can just talk about in Scripture uh, changes our hearts. But Father God, you and your spirit in this place speaking to us, finding the spots in our lives that desperately need your love, your touch, your shaping, your correction, the master work of the master potter shaping us into the thing you want us to be. Father God, that changes hearts, changes lives, changes a world. That is the goal. And, and, and how wild is it that you've asked us to participate in that you said, come along and, and help be the hands and the feet and to spread my love. And so, Father God, would that, would that be what we do this morning? Will we be soaked in you so that we can go out different people? And would what happens here this morning be nothing but what you desire? Would you touch hearts and change lives? Uh, not simply so that we can live up on our mountain, but just like you said over the people of Israel, so that we can go and show them the love of a God that wants to change their world. Amen? Amen. All right. So, um, Warning, uh, I'm in a bit of a raw place. I've had a really, really, really rough couple of days. And, uh, and I, I want to let you know that this passage of Scripture that I'm teaching on uh, dovetails in with where my life is at right now very, very intimately. Um, and I had no idea where I would be as a person today when Sean and I discussed uh, me coming up and teaching on this passage. And, uh, and so I just want to make that statement because I think it's worthwhile to state, to recognize, like, like for myself in my own wrestling, I went, okay, God, you know, amen? Like God knows. He knows where we're gonna be. He knows what we're going through. But when we don't even have a clue and, 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 and God laid this on my heart and knew exactly what would be happening today. And so uh, I want to let you know, my wife and I, uh, we, we started dating in high school. We met at a church that we grew up at together in the high school ministry. We started dating in high school. We dated for uh, a number of years, got married, started our family. Uh, we, have been, we have been together. Uh, my wife and I started dating in 2000. Uh, so we have been together for uh, not forever, uh, but it's a lot for me. Uh, and, uh, more of my life with her than uh, apart from her. Uh, it has been a heck of a journey and a lot of fun. And along the way, one of the things that we recognized we were really in sync on is we knew that we wanted to adopt. Um, we knew that that was going to be something that, that, that was part of our story for a number of different reasons. Uh, for me, very much, I, I can't speak, I, I won't speak too much for her story, uh, but for me, it had a lot to do with the environment that I grew up in where I consistently saw children marginalized or abandoned or, or, or underserved in very significant ways. And, uh, and I did so from the context of a home where my parents were there and loved us. I watched my family table become a refuge for children who had no other place to be. It's it's weird when you think back through time and you're like, man, why did Josh show up every night when we were having dinner? Like, he knows we're having dinner. And then as you become older, you think back and you're like, oh, no one was home at Josh's house. And he didn't have dinner. I didn't realize until I was older that that was the place that my parents had carved out. And it made a very deep impact on me. And so my wife and I began uh, to pursue adoption, just knowing that we wanted to find a life that God was calling us to, to invest in at that level. And, and I want to be very clear, never ever was it a missional thing. Like it wasn't like, this is what good Christians do. Like, I mean, it might be, like I shouldn't use that voice. It's probably what good Christians do. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but like, but like uh, it was just where our hearts were. Separately, we came together and, and along the way, my wife and I had a lot of conversation and what we decided is that we would pursue adoption through foster care. I don't know where you're at on that. I know that for me, it took, it took some, like, like the spirit was leaning on the rudder for a while before that ship started to turn because I 
like so many of us, have had experiences in and around uh, the state-run facility uh, of foster care, and I've just gone like, ooh, what a zoo. Like, I don't know. That's a lot. I don't know. That's kind of a broken system. We've all heard that so much, right? Like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Um, that would be hard, um, and it is. Um, and, um, and so, but we, we, we decided this is what we were going to do, and I want to tell you exactly why. The reason I finally said, okay, God, is I woke up one morning thinking about orphans. The, the call in scripture to serve the widow and orphan is clear. It's clear. Like the, the provisions that God gives to the Israelite nation for how to care for the people who need to be cared for, the people who don't have the ability themselves is obvious. The way Jesus interacted with people was definitive. So I was just, I just had this on my mind. And I was frustrated that in America, we don't really have like orphanages. And here's what led me to this. Have you ever stopped and recognized that as American evangelicals, we are so, so, so good at following the call of Jesus Christ and loving on the widow and orphan as long as they do not live in America? As long as they do not live in America, we give. Oh, do we give. We are so generous. And I want to be cautious here. I know a lot of people who have adopted from another country. I know a lot of people who have gone on missions trips and served. I know a lot of people who support organizations that support underprivileged orphans and widows and families throughout the world. I am casting no shade on any of those processes at all. It is okay for that to be amazing and this to suck. And this sucks. We do awful. And I was sitting here one day going, God, I was thinking about the orphan and I felt like I, I was just bemoaning that we don't have a good structure that the church can really wrap their arms around. And I say the church because this is our call. Nobody else has this call. You might have a heart for it, but we have a call from our gospels, from our God, from the inception of how God deals with humanity to have a heart oriented for this. And I didn't see it. And I was like, God, I wish we just had, like, I went back to, like, oh, like, orphanages back in, like, you know, like, the early 1900s, right? Like, that was a real thing. You could just, like, go love this organization. And I was like, God, why don't we have that? And I saw in my mind's eye, I felt like I had this picture of an old orphanage, and I felt like I saw God pick it up and move it over and set it over a DCYF office. If you don't know DCYF, that's the Department of Children, Youth, and Families in Washington State. They administer the foster system. And I went, oh, shoot, we do have orphans here in America, and we do an awful job of loving them, systematically. So my wife and I began to pursue this. We got licensed through an organization that works specifically to license foster parents with the intention of finding kids in the foster system forever permanent homes. We began this process. It's a long process. It's a lot of God moments in this process. And it results in four years ago, actually next month will be four years ago on a Wednesday afternoon at 5.32, <laughs> I meet this brother and sister. 
My son comes into my house at the time. He's three years old, not quite four yet. My daughter is seven months old, and they have been through the ringer in their short lives. My son is basically nonverbal. He has the ability, he has a vocabulary, but it's completely repressed. He answers everything in uh uh-huh and uh uh-uh, but A, he doesn't shake his head, and B, he keeps his lips together. And I don't know if any of you took the college class to interpret hum, but I didn't. And it's very hard when you have a kid in a bathtub and you're like, hey, buddy, you doing okay? And all you hear is, mm-hmm. and like, they, 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 there's a thing that happens viscerally in your body. And so we first started with head nods. We, got, we need an uh-huh or an uh-uh, right? And then we start with yeses and nos. And then we start with like, you know, communication and dialogue. In the first week that our kids are with us, my son, we're at a barbecue at somebody's place, and they have this uh, uh, torturous death trap of a patio. Anybody ever seen um, exposed aggregate before on a patio? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty popular in Washington State. Basically, if you're unfamiliar with it, you, you pour a concrete pad, and then you're like, too smooth. Wash it off so there's just exposed gravel stuck in the concrete. Uh, and, and this is their patio. And, and then they were more decorative. See, they, they, they poured these square sections and did these decorative pieces of wood that kind of separated out and made it look cool at one point until the wood rots away. And then in addition to uh, exposed uh, gravel, uh, uh, basically aggressive sandpaper, uh, (laughs) concrete, you also have sharp corners everywhere. So my son is running and he trips and he hits his knee right on the corner of one of these concrete pads. And he takes more meat off of his knee than I knew knees had meat. It was egregious. It was scary. It was one of those moments where everybody looks and they're like, they're like, Joe, you're a dad. You can handle this, right? And I'm like, that's for paramedics. Uh, but, but we, right, we, we, we jump in and we step two and I got to clean it because it's like got stuff in there, right? This young man never sheds one tear. He never cries. He never wails. And that is not because of his internal fortitude. I don't know if you know about human trauma, but in a child in particular, it can manifest itself in a way where you only know one thing that's safe. And in his environment, being safe meant not making a lot of noise and not stepping out of bounds and not getting crazy and not worked up. So he just sat with a great portion of his knee not connected to his body anymore. He just sat. Three years old. My daughter came into my house with no muscle definition because of some of the things that she'd gone through in life. If you were to pick this beautiful seven-month-old girl up by her arms or or if you you grip too tightly under her arms as you picked her up, you would dislocate them. Same thing with her legs. You you just kind of had to cup her and coddle her. She would just sort of hang like she was comatose, but she wasn't. She was in there. For the first month that she was with us, she never once cried. Seven-month-old child never cried. Because she had learned, the psychology behind this is, the child had learned in her environment that crying, that expenditure of energy, that noise that she could make, which ordinarily should beckon those who love and care to aid, resulted in nothing. So she didn't make that noise. She didn't know that it called people's attention to her needs. She was unaware of it entirely. 
she barely laughed. And I don't know what you guys are going to think about me about the end of this, but I'm really funny, okay? I like, like, kids love me, which is a weird thing to say, but they do, right? I'm funny. Never laughed. Well, not, nothing, nothing, nothing. Just blank stares. My wife could get her to laugh occasionally. Uh, through the years, we have walked through therapy appointments. We've heard memories and traumas that would astound you. And they're so, so hard. My daughter needed uh, intense occupational therapy to teach her body how to work again, but this happened right around COVID. So we took on the act of buying therapeutic devices and learning over Zoom calls with therapists how to teach my daughter's body to work again. We began to sit with therapists again over Zoom calls as much as we could and in their offices to begin to teach their little brains and psyches how to feel and how to process and how to express themselves, how to talk and communicate and engage. We have heard stories from children that I can't express the level of injustice and wrong that accompanies them. I have watched a young girl who, and again, I remind you, came into my house at seven months old, who, who just in the last year started having nightmares, having never had a conversation about what her history was. She started having nightmares about the things that happened to her before she was five months old. It gets that deep inside. We have walked through awful, awful moments. We also found that they had a family member who lived uh, uh, close by, an aunt, and uh, we believed that one of the things that is so necessary for these children, I believe this, I'll just make this statement, um, I, and you can disagree with me, uh, it's just, it's worked out in my life. I believe one of the things that we can never do is we can never go back and answer the question marks that we left. We can always wrestle with the periods, you know, or the exclamation points, the conclusion of something. We, we can always know, like, like, like uh, let's do something that's a lot easier than what life has been recently for me. Like, like, did you ask that person to the dance or not? Like, if you didn't ask him to the dance, you kind of always can sit there and go, like, man, I wonder if I should have. Maybe that's because I did high school for so many years. Like, maybe that's more poignant to me than, than the rest of us. But, like, you can kind of think on that. But if you asked and they were, like, hard pass, well, you can go, like, okay, I wasn't their cup of tea. Um, you know, more Joe's story. Uh, yeah, right? Like, like, you can get over that. You can deal with that. But it's the unanswered questions that we can't deal with in life. When you ask people, if you had a time machine and could do anything, what would you do? They go back to something that was hanging unanswered. So we've worked very, very hard to make sure that their family is around. We've worked very, very hard to build a relationship with a mother who created most of the traumas that we've had to walk through with these children because we know that no matter how hard things were, if they never get to know who she is, it will only be to their detriment. It will only be. We worked to bring an ant into our lives and everyone, everyone came at us and they're like, ooh, you know, the family, they all have agendas. And I said this from day one and I will say it now, we believe and we know that the most important thing we can do for those kids is make sure that, that they know who they are and where they come from and that while things in their life have been hard, people love them and care about them. Last August, 
the aunt uh, who has been a part of every birthday party and came to Christmases and went to zoo trips and has been a part of life, who, who, who has lost some sisters relationally in her life, and my wife has lost a sister relationally in her life, uh, who I watched as we would get a babysitter for the kids and we would go hang out as couples. Right? I watched them sit there and say, I'm so glad I found a sister in a place that I never thought I would find a sister. In August last year, we sat down and she announced to us in a meeting with, uh, with the social workers that she's going to pursue taking the kids. Um, and we have, for the last however long that is, 10 months-ish, we have been in a process of trying to communicate. The job as a foster parent is to advocate for children. Even when these kids were placed in your care to adopt, like that was the whole, that's why they came to us. That's who we are. We're adoptive parents in the foster care system. Doesn't matter that DCYF should have closed this case three years ago, two years ago, a year ago. What matters is this aunt wants them in their lives. This aunt wants to be their parent. And we have to try and advocate for what they want because they've, my daughter came to me at seven months old. She's now four and a half. I'm the only dad she's ever known. My wife is the only mom she's ever known. And as we begin to advocate, saying, hey, they, these children know their case. They know what's going on. They've expressed that this is not what they want. We suddenly become the bad guys. We work, I don't know if you know this about foster parents, you work for DCYF, but we are now the enemy because we're not on board with what they wanna do. Even though they tell you when you do the training that your job is to advocate for what the kids want, they don't wanna hear that when it's against what they want. Even though we have worked so hard to bring this aunt into our lives, she now starts acting like we are the bad guys who are taking the kids away from her, even though we, we brought her in, right? And we begin to walk this incredibly difficult road where we are still employees. Well, you're not paid, you're a volunteer. We are, still, we are still the arm of DCYF that serves these children while they hate us and are attacking us. Slanderous, malicious, awful, awful things in court, legally, bad stuff, misrepresentation. We are now asking the aunt to come be a part of birthdays. When, when, when my daughter was turning four, uh, she didn't have gas money to come up to where we were gonna do a big family party. So we just took everybody down to her. This is months after they've begun this process. She came to my house for Christmas. Why, why? Everybody around me, Joe, what are you doing? If these kids move with her, there is nothing, nothing that would be more harmful than for me to get mad at her and carve her out of my life and them not know her, right? Think about that. Think about that. Like, like oh, you've upset me. I'm just going to carve you out. You're done. So we fight. We stand. We contend in these hard, hard places. We've been doing it for months and months and months. And on Friday at 5 p.m., I stood in my driveway with their aunt and some boxes and a social worker that the aunt called to observe the interaction because I don't even know why. Because she was worried that we would do something even though all we have done for years is give until we're empty. 
Why? Why is this the story I'm telling? Why is this the message today? How does this tie in? Luke 6, 27 says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And I will add to that even when they don't. Even when they don't do to you as you would like them to, do it to them. Treat them with dignity and decency and respect and give of yourself. And as a result, my daughter is not only surviving, she is thriving. She has a ballet recital this next week and I'm gonna get to be there and cheer her on and she is in the top of her class. She is consistently one of the best students at her school and we all know that it's preschool, right? We get it. What, how, how high is that bar? It's huge for her. It is huge for her and she jumps over it every single day and it's impressive that she can even jump. My son, who the first time he stepped on a basketball court for a practice, he wasn't standing in line right and the coach moved him over. My wife watched him just, oh, like here, stand here, buddy. He came home in tears telling me that the coach hit him. That's his framework for the world. The world is so unsafe that that violated him in an intimate way. And that young man last year on a football field that he had never been on before stepped on for the first time and came off the field with the greatest improvement award for the team. And the coaches cheered him on every day. I watched that boy lay some kids out. And then you know what he did? He picked him up. That kid has a strength in him. They have been given the resources and the space to learn how to be resilient, incredible kids who may not be living the future that we all imagined for them along the way, but who will never, never be subject to the world that they were once condemned to. That is why. That's why we do what hurts. That's why we do what's hard. That's why we go the extra mile. That's why we keep pressing. That is why we say, God, I know you care. I watched you come down. The world remembers when you stepped out of the cosmos, broke the division between the physical and the supernatural, and existed as an example of what love is. And I will fight to be the same thing. None of it happens by coincidence. None of it happens by convenience. I want you guys to get a perspective of what my home is like right now. My family's at home. I have three biological children in addition to the two uh, uh, that we were hoping to adopt. My three-year-old daughter is sitting at home right now. She has always had a big sister and three older brothers. And she's sitting at home right now trying to figure out why half of her siblings are gone. She doesn't understand and neither do I. 
of a 15-year-old who is one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's not just a, a proud dad. Like, I, I, I was a high school pastor for like 11 years. I have told kids they're stupid before. I'm not ashamed of it. Like, my son is brilliant. He wrestles with the idea of the infinite cosmos in ways that I can't even begin to wrap my brain around. And right now, he has so much anxiety and stress that he can't sleep without taking a pill, can't get through a day without getting into trouble, and is failing every single class at school. My brilliant boy is falling apart. I have a nine-year-old who can't watch Tony Stark snap his fingers and save the world or listen to literally last week his friends discuss the zombie apocalypse on the bus without breaking down into a prolonged hysteria because he lives every day terrified that the people that he loves are going to go away. And as much as that is awful, I would do it all again for the exact same result. I would do it all again because the people in our lives deserve that kind of love and sacrifice. And if we're not the ones who are going to do it, who the heck will? And along the way, I've heard things like this. I'm going to share this and we'll wrap up here. I've heard primarily from people inside the church now. This is important. Let's get down to the judgmental side of Joe today. It's a weird thing to say. Primarily from people inside the church. I've heard statements like this. Oh my gosh, I could never work in that system. It's just so broken. I don't know how you guys do it. It would just be too much for me. Thank you guys for what you do. You're so much stronger than I could be. I just don't understand why you would put your family through something like that. That's a real fun one. That's a hard moment to be a pastor in. This is a short list. Can I share one experience that we had recently? I'm not trying to be political, so... If this pushes a button on politics, just shh, that's not what we're doing today. When Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, one of our very, very Christian, very, very well-meaning, very, very loving friends posted this online saying, finally, maybe now people will get involved in foster care and help love all these babies that aren't going to be murdered anymore. What are you talking about? What is that? You're not involved in foster care. You've never done anything about it. And, and, and if you believe, if you believe, and I'm not critiquing the belief, I'm saying if you believe that abortion murders babies and it was legal and happening throughout our country everywhere and you did nothing to provide another pathway and another exit and to engage in that, why in the world do you think that people are gonna come streaming down the aisle now, now that you've made it illegal and taken the pathway away? What in the world is that kind of thinking? It's easy thinking. It's easy thinking. It's the assumption. And it's a great opportunity for credit. I watched all the comments. And I watched nothing change. I watched no lives impacted. I watched no hearts mended. I watched no sacrifice. Contemporary of Jesus, a Roman 
Stoic philosopher by the name of Seneca is quoted as having said, it is not because things are difficult that we do not dare. It is because we do not dare that things are difficult. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this that someone would lay down their life for a friend. Paul took it further and said, some, some might rarely be willing to lay down their life for a friend. But while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And then he called us to follow his example. And we walk around never doing the hard thing and looking for everybody to tell us how good we're doing. And Jesus said, why would you get credit for that? Even sinners lend to sinners in expectation of full reward back. If you're not doing the hard thing, you're just keeping the status quo. Lives have never been changed by the status quo. Hearts have never been mended by the status quo. The world is not seeing a light of a God by the status quo. Jesus did not keep the status quo. And he didn't ask us to. And he's not excited about cheering us on when it's what we do. Jesus sat in a garden and he said, Father, if there is any way to take this cup from me, take it. But even if you don't, I'll go. And he did. And we're here today because of it. Lives were changed. And this passage calls us to change lives. Amen? Would you guys join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, this is not always easy to hear. But God, it is your heart that we change the world, not for our own glory and not for our own benefit, but so that you, Father God, are seen. You asked us to show you off. And God, you deserve people who will do it in more than a trite way or for accolades. Father God, I just ask for each and every one of us here today as we're sitting in a spot wrestling and saying, God, where are the areas where I've taken the easy way? Where are the areas where I'm looking for the acclaim? Where are the ways where I'm not willing to step into the pool that you stepped into and called me in with you? Father God, would we just be people who hear the loving cry of a Father God who says, it's okay, I'm still here, come with me. Will we be reminded by you that it is not in our own piety, in our own religious effort, in our own work and, 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 and striving that we see success and lives changed. It is when we allow ourselves to be filled by your spirit, the very spirit that hovered over the face of the deep in the opening lines of the world's creation and said we can make it better. The very spirit that as you left, you said it's best that I go because what comes next changes everything. The very spirit that we celebrate indwelling us on Pentecost last week. Father God, that spirit changes lives and would it change our lives and thank you, Father God, that you are faithful and able to meet each and every one of us right where we are, wherever that is, and say it's okay, let's keep going. God, I ask that that would be the story here today, that each and every one of us would find spaces in our heart where we say, Father God, I need to surrender that to you, and I'm sorry. I thank you and we praise you that you're faithful and you're good and you're able. Father God, be in our midst, be in our presence, and shine brightly through us. Father God, Thank you. Thank you that you let us partner with you. Amen? Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. 
If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.